Hey guys, happy Wednesday. Welcome to Relatable. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers, American Meat Delivered. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Okay, guys, I have a lot that I want to say today. I am going to speak even more quickly than usual because I have a limited amount of time uh, to say everything that I want to say. I am going to kind of give an overview of how our current world is working, the things that are going on. I want to zoom in, but also zoom out to give us a sense of what is happening. It's going to start out for a bit here in my monologue really bad really bad. I am going to shoot you straight. I'm going to tell you from my perspective what's really going on, and I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it at all. But then I am going to try to give some practical advice for how we can face the challenges that we are facing as a country, as Christians right now, and then also a larger theological perspective of everything that's going on, reminding us of our hope. So it's going to start out a bit rocky here, but then by the end, I hope that you will feel fired up, that you will feel encouraged, that you will feel edified. That is the goal. So think of this as maybe like a Christian conservative state of our union, if you will. If you have not noticed, which I'm sure you have, things in the old US of A are not that great. Now, that is not a conservative Christian perspective. That's not an opinion. It's just a fact. Inflation has driven the price of everything up. Groceries are more expensive. The diapers, the baby food that you're buying, more expensive. Cars are more expensive. That house that you've been building for the past year, you've seen the prices of all of the materials go up every month. Basic household supplies are more expensive. And gas, primarily, yes, because this administration and our federal agencies have crushed oil production here with environmental regulations is way up from where it was last year. The Putin price hike that Biden and the media are pushing is mostly, not entirely, but mostly propaganda. It is true that Russia's invasion and the sanctions have that we've placed on Russian oil and gas are having a negative effect. Yes, but the price of gas, as well as the price of goods in general, was always skyrocketing before the invasion. Democrats and many members of the Republican Party are both to blame for inflation. This has been a long time coming for they're to blame for the big government spending, for putting us in more debt, for relying on the Federal Reserve to print more money. Members of both parties have gotten us where we are today. But to be honest, to be fair, Democrats have mostly been responsible, at least for leading the way in the expansion of expensive programs, programs that we cannot afford. And while they claim that their spending has nothing to do with inflation, that's what the Biden administration is saying, that is a lie. That is part of uh, what causes inflation, a large part of what causes the inflation that we're seeing now. And then we got more news yesterday, and I asked people on Twitter to explain this to me like I am five. Saudi Arabia is considering pricing their oil sales in the Chinese yuan instead of the U.S. dollar. And we'll have to do a future episode with an expert on this, on what that all means and why that matters so much. But suffice it to say today, the result will be the further devaluation of the dollar and greater inflation. So that means things will be even more expensive for your family than they are right now. So on the economic front, things are not good. 
and they will continue to not be good. Unfortunately, this is just the beginning of our hardship. Economically, things are going to get much worse. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I think it's true. I hope that it's not, but I think, judging from what people who um, have spent their entire lives paying attention to this say, things are about to get even worse than they already are right now. So after two years of economic hardship, when people lost their businesses, the shops and stores and restaurants, they'd been operating for 30 years, not because of COVID, but because of stupid, unscientific, draconian, restrictive, controlling COVID policy, we've got even more hardship headed our way. After the pain and the loss and the loneliness, the isolation, the instability of the last two years, I think, unfortunately, there is more to come. We thought we saw the worst of it in 2020 when entire communities were being looted and burned down in the name of racial justice, when the media and our vice president cheered as poor towns filled with mostly minorities, by the way, had their downtowns destroyed, where they live and work and buy groceries and access resources burned to the ground, looted, people assaulted, murdered by these rioters. And the people who claimed to be for social justice and for the least of these and for the marginalized, they looked the other way. But that wasn't the worst of it. We thought that was the worst. That wasn't the worst of it. We thought things couldn't get any worse when people from all industries, including our military, were fired last year, lost their income, their health insurance, because they didn't get a shot that has turned out to be entirely ineffective when it comes to stopping transmission. We've watched as pharmaceutical companies, the media, the government, and hospitals have colluded to stop the distribution of effective treatment in lieu of ineffective treatment that makes them more money. We've heard story after story, gut-wrenching story, of mistreatment in hospitals, of people being barred from being with their dying mother or sister or son, and we thought things cannot get any worse than this. But things can, and they will. The West is now weak. America is weak. China and Russia will become the world superpower and... We will see economic hardship and a continued loss of freedoms here and abroad like we have not seen since America's founding. I think that's what's to come. Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not claiming to have any special knowledge. I'm just someone who pays attention to this as my job. And I think that is what is to come. The hardship that we have had over the past two years is just a precursor of the much more severe hardship that is heading our way. Now, America's weakness has been setting in for a long time. This is not something that all of a sudden happened over the past couple of years. This is not something that we can lay entirely at Joe Biden's feet. The beams of our house have been rotting for a while, for years, for decades in many ways. And the whole structure is starting to get very wobbly. The accumulation of the weight of everything that's happened over the last two years is more than our house can bear. Now, there are many reasons for this rot, this weakness that we are experiencing in what once was the greatest world superpower to exist. One of the reasons is that the people who lead our country hate our country. Now, I wish that were hyperbole. Um, I'm not talking 
just about elected officials. I'm talking about the unelected bureaucrats in our government agencies. I'm talking about the people who create our media and our entertainment. I'm talking about the most influential academics and activists. They believe our country is bad, that American strength is bad, that Western strength is bad, that nationalism and even too much patriotism is toxic, that capitalism is bad, individualism is bad, Christianity is bad, liberty is bad. Everything that has made this country the most prosperous and the freest country in the world, they say is bad. How do I know that? Because of the policies that they back. Because of the open borders policies, the soft on crime policies, the economic policies that they back, whose end, whose conclusion uh, is destruction. They believe that America is a wholly foundationally, foundationally wicked country built exclusively on white supremacy and genocide and that the world would be a better place if we were smaller and weaker on the world stage and maybe if we just got rid of all of the institutions that have worked and started from scratch. Everything they push, intentionally or not, accomplishes that. And I'll give you some examples of that. In just one second, I got to pause and tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is NetSuite. All right, those of you who are running companies, specifically those of you who are running the finances of your company, so like a CFO, uh, you really need to pay attention to this. When you've got spreadsheets everywhere, you've got all of these processes that you have to go through to ensure that your finances are in check and that everything is organized. You want everything in your business, HR, e-commerce, inventory to flow seamlessly with the click of a button. That is why you need NetSuite. It is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth with visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and more. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 28,000 businesses already use NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash Allie for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash Allie, netsuite.com slash Allie. Progressive environmental policy forces us to rely on on other countries for oil and solar panels and windmills, taking jobs away from Americans, making it harder to make things here because we don't have the oil that is necessary to produce them, thereby making items more expensive here. Progressive economic policy rewards unemployment, incentivizes homelessness, encourages fatherlessness and broken dependent families. It hurts small businesses. Progressive education policy is corrupted by the power of the teachers unions. It pumps money into the administrative bloat of public education, but doesn't actually help or fund our students. In fact, the new progressive view is that students shouldn't have to reach high standards of math and reading in order to graduate at all. We see this in schools in California, in Maryland, in Oregon, and elsewhere. The standards for competency have been lowered, so graduation rates are higher, so schools can say that they are helping the kids that need it, all in the name of equity. Because... Unfortunately, it's typically black and Hispanic students who are falling behind in these schools. So rather than doing what we should do, equip and challenge the kids who need it most, the education system just lowers the bar and hopes for the best. Lots of things, not just our education system, is destroyed with this newfangled equity that progressives have introduced. 
equity is supposed to be, and it's true meaning, it's supposed to be the equal application of the law. But progressives have now redefined that word to mean equal outcomes. So, for example, if more Black Americans are arrested than white people in a given area, the assumption is that that's inequitable, that's racist. Racism, discrimination is causing that disparity. That's always the assumption. And so the solution is, the equitable solution, progressives say, is to simply arrest fewer Black people, which doesn't actually solve any kind of problem or ask any kind of critical questions that would lead to actual justice. That's not true equity. That's not justice. It's the opposite. It's actually partiality. It's actually injustice. Social justice policies carried out in the name of equity are killing people. In every major city in this country, every week, you see me post another terrible story, typically on Instagram, of a person murdered by a criminal who should have never been released from jail. Remember the Waukesha terrorist attack? Daryl Brooks, remember him with a long rap sheet, a long violent rap sheet. He had also posted different black nationalist messages on his social media. He rammed his car through a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and he killed six people, including an eight-year-old boy named Jackson. We don't talk about that anymore. You wonder why? It's because of this toxic social justice mentality and progressivism that refuses to let us see things as they are because of liberal judges, liberal district attorneys, these criminals who then go on to be repeat offenders and hurt people, they're let go because equity, because social justice, because if there's too many people of one race arrested and locked up, that's racist. I mean, just watch the news. Look at the news, the stories out of San Francisco, New York, uh, New York City, LA, Dallas, Denver, Austin, Philadelphia, DC. It's the same story over and over again. Criminals let out of jail because the judge set a low bond and they go out and kill or assault. And who are the victims predominantly? Who are the victims of uh, these repeat crimes, which shouldn't happen because these people should be in prison? Almost always poor minorities. Social justice kills. Social justice kills. Social justice is not justice, as we've talked about many times on this show. We can link some past episodes. We won't get into all of that right now because I'm very passionate about that subject. It would take me a long time to break it all down. But social justice is not justice. Social justice kills. It is a huge part of the rot in our institutions. The diversity, equity, and inclusion nonsense that has permeated our school system. Uh, Academia, the government, corporations encourages moral relativism, constant victimization, resentment, shame, divisiveness. It does not accomplish in any way compassion and reconciliation. If it did, I'd be for it. But it doesn't. The only thing critical race theory, another subject that we have talked about many times, has accomplished is anger, tearing down, tearing apart. It's torn down statues. It's demonized the Constitution. It's destroyed institutions and wrecked people's theology. It's caused more racism than it's actually healed. No country can outlast that. I promise you. Why don't you look up the history of Zimbabwe? See how it worked out. It is a destructive force, like all forms of Marxism have been throughout history. Also, you can look at the history of South Africa, again, to see how the tenets of critical race theory and intersectionality have worked out in real time. It's not good. Progressivism, in all forms, when left unchecked, destroys. It'll destroy your theology. It'll destroy your church, your family, your school, your community, and your country. 
It deconstructs all truth until you're left with flimsy moral relativism, until nothing has any true objective meaning. We can't exist in a cohesive society like that. Gender may be the greatest example of this. Progressivism as an ideology deconstructs all manner of truth, even the most obvious, that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. It calls it into question, elevates stated identity and feelings over physical reality to turn gender into anything a person wants it to be. That is how our HHS secretary, who now goes by the name of Rachel Levine, who is actually a man, can be honored as one of the most influential women by USA Today, why he can be called female by the New York Times, why Leah Thomas, who is also actually a man, can be honored by Sports Illustrated as an amazing female collegiate swimmer. A country with any significant number of people, especially people in charge who actually think that way and talk that way, will not survive. The country cannot survive that. A country with an entire political party that weeps and gnashes its teeth because of a bill in Florida that simply says that teachers can't talk to five to nine-year-olds about gender confusion and sexual orientation. A country that allows and pays and applauds doctors removing healthy breasts and testicles from young teenagers who think they're the opposite gender but are actually probably just autistic. A country that praises a corporation like Discovery Plus for having a show called Drag Kids. A country that murders millions of babies every year and calls it empowerment, that calls concerned parents at school board meetings terrorists. A government that colludes with technology companies to silence dissent. A country like that cannot survive. We are not special. Empires throughout history have fallen because of much less. Maybe we could have had a couple of those things and still be okay, but not all of them. It's, the house is too rotten. It's swaying too much. We can't hold that pressure. Immorality, this kind of confusion, the kind of chaos that we're seeing, the kind of self-hatred that as a country we've collectively fostered, the division, uh, all of this madness has sown, all on top of a ruling class, Republican and Democrat, who are far more concerned in general with lining their pockets and seeking their interests than fighting on behalf of the people in this country. There's not a chance in the world with all of that that we can make it out. China and Russia and probably our adversaries in the Middle East and throughout the world have been funding every single aspect of our destruction that I just articulated. They want a weak America. They want a weak West. And I'm telling you, none of us is going to like what that world looks like. America is not perfect by any means. I've realized that more than ever over the past couple of years, you're talking to one of the most patriotic people ever. I love this country, but I've realized so much of the rot that I'm talking about that really comes from the top and is so insidious over the past couple of years that I have grown in many ways quite cynical. And it takes a lot to make me cynical about the United States. So I understand America is not perfect, but I can also acknowledge that it makes a huge difference in the world when the country that is the top dog on earth believes fundamentally in something called a human right, like America does. It's written into our founding documents that human beings are made by God and therefore have rights. The governments in China and Russia and Afghanistan and Iran do not believe in human rights. You can bet that's going to make a huge difference in how the world works if they are on top. I don't know how that manifests itself exactly on the world stage once uh, this 
axis of evil comes to absolute power, but it's not going to be good. It's going to be less, uh, less safe, less stable, maybe worse than I can even say. As a people, we are not moral enough. We do not love our country enough. We don't understand what true justice is enough. We don't even cling to any actual truth enough. We don't love each other enough. We don't have strong enough values. We don't care enough about what happens to our country, to our children, our children's children, to stop the country from collapsing. We are led by incompetent, weak people, ideologues who hate the country and want us weaker, infiltrated by money, influenced also by money from people who have a vested interest in the American collapse. And we haven't even touched on the World Economic Forum today. All of this points back to moral relativism and purposelessness and a rudderlessness that is caused essentially by godlessness. And this also makes us extremely vulnerable to propaganda. We'll get into that in just one second. Got to tell you about our second sponsor for the day, and that is Masterworks. All right, you guys know, as we just mentioned, inflation is at a 40-year high. Some analysts predict stock returns of less than 4% until 2030. So how can you prepare in the midst of all the turbulence that I'm describing, how can you prepare for the economic uncertainty? Many are investing their money in an unexpected commodity. It's not natural gas, oil, or or gold, even though all investments involve risks. Some experts believe it's even a better hedge against inflation than gold. And its prices outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% from 1995 to 2021. What is it? It's contemporary art. You might not have guessed that. But after the 2008 crash, tons of wealthy investors use art to defend their wealth. And thanks to Masterwork, so can you. This revolutionary app has made multi-million dollar paintings investable. In other words, you can invest paintings with you can invest in paintings without needing to buy the entire thing. Sounds genius to me. To discover how to participate alongside 350,000 members, go to masterworks.art slash alley. That's masterworks.art slash alley. See important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash about slash disclosure. Have you noticed how easily manipulated the population is? How quickly we believe whatever narrative is mainstream? Florida is prohibiting people from saying the word gay. Not true. Border Patrol is whipping migrants. Not true. The Covington Catholic students instigated a racist standoff against a Native American man. Not true. Jesse Smollett was lynched in the middle of Chicago by two MAGA hat wearing guys who called them him all these terrible racist euphemisms. Not true. Trump colluded with the Russians to win the election. Not true. And yet many people believed these things. Narratives were built off them. Even policies are often built on these lies. Defunding the police is a prime example of a policy that was built on a false narrative. And people are now dying because of a lack of police that has led to a rise in violent crime in cities. And what bothers me so much, especially among Christians, is how our compassion And outrage is so often dictated by what most people are saying on social media. How we just adopt the talking points of whatever goes viral. We allow being educated and doing research to be reading an infographic on Instagram. So we just take on whatever we're told. America is systemically racist. Wearing a mask is loving your neighbor. 
We don't even think about thinking critically about these things. And now I just think it's strange how quickly everyone has jumped on to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and is repeating the same talking points. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about it or that we shouldn't be talking about it or that we shouldn't have an outpouring of compassion for the Ukrainian people. I think that we should. But do you not think it's a little bit odd how lockstep so many people are? The United States bombed Somalia at the end of February because of an allegedly radicalized group of terrorists there. Did you even know that? Do you even remember when China overtook Hong Kong in 2020? That was a big deal. Demolished their democracy, jailed journalists, and any dissenters. China has over a million people right now in slavery, harvesting their organs, forcing late-term abortions on Uyghur women. The Chinese people have no rights, no right to free speech or worship or anything we hold dear here. Have you seen corporations pulling their business from China the way that you've seen them pull their business out of Russia? China covered up the severity of COVID in cahoots with the WHO, and we were told by the media that any criticism of China was racist and would cause violence against Asian Americans. These are the same people who, by the way, are now losing their minds over Candace Owens saying that Russian civilians here and abroad shouldn't be mistreated just because of what their government is doing. People are now pouring out Russian vodka in America as a way to stick it to Putin. But when COVID started, we were actually encouraged to go eat at Chinese restaurants to show solidarity with the Chinese people. Is that not a little odd to you? Is there not perhaps a fly in the buttermilk here? Is it not a little suspect that your outrage and compassion have been directed so exclusively to Russia and Ukraine in a way that they have it toward the unjust things happening in other countries, namely in China? Like, do we take the time at all to wonder why that is? Again, that does not mean we don't have abundant compassion and sadness for the people of Ukraine. Uh, there have been mothers and babies and children and American journalists killed by this Russian invasion. Traffickers are taking advantage of moms and their kids uh, fleeing without the father who is staying at home to fight. They're fleeing into countries like Poland. They're being met by traffickers and exploited. How sad is that? There is so much sorrow that I have and that should be had for these people. So much justified indignation toward the Putin regime. But can we not also, can, can we walk and chew gum at the same time? Can we not also be critical thinkers? Does compassion and critical thinking have to be mutually exclusive? It certainly seems like for a lot of people they do. I don't think so, though. I don't buy that. It's either this or that. I think we can be compassionate and critical thinkers. So can we not also think that it's strange how some of the same people who think America needs to have open borders for the sake of compassion, who think American nationalism is of the devil, who think American patriotism is toxic, who think America defending its own interests is evil, who are decidedly against the sovereignty and self-determination and freedom of America are all of a sudden obsessed with the sovereignty and self-determination and the democracy of a country that they can't even point to on a map? Did America care when Russia invaded Crimea when Obama was president? Has America cared that Russia and Ukraine have been engaged in forms of warfare for years? Did America care when the current Ukrainian government was throwing dissidents into jail a few years ago? There's no sane justification for what Russia is doing. We can acknowledge that. But it's not rational. It is not rational to say anyone asking questions about how this incident is being used, potentially nefariously and divisively by our own media and ruling class, is unpatriotic or treasonous. And yet... 
if we do ask these questions, you'll have actual lunatics like the women of The View saying that you should be investigated, that you should be placed into jail. Isn't what we're hearing from the left and celebrities and neocons like Mitt Romney very similar to the messages that we heard about COVID and BLM? You'll remember at the beginning of COVID, they said you should just, you know, shut down your business and you'll be fine. We can take this economic hit. These are multimillionaires saying that. And now you have people like George Takai saying the same thing. You have people like Stephen Colbert saying, oh, you know, we can handle $6 a gallon. This is, it's worth it to to stick it to Putin. First of all, Putin is not hurt by that. He's He's not Ultimately, I don't think going to be hurt by that. The people who are going to be hurt by that are working class and poor Americans. And we certainly don't need to be lectured by the likes of multimillionaire celebrities telling us that it's our patriotic duty to not be able to afford to drive to visit family members in another state. But that's what that's also it's so similar to what we heard during COVID. If you're not on board with lockdowns, you hate grandma. If you don't condone or ignore the rioting and looting by BLM, it's because you're a racist. Also, if you question the integrity of the election, even if you're just saying you think the media and tech companies were shady with how much they tried to shape the messaging around Trump and Biden, you're a threat to democracy and you need to be removed from polite society. And now... If you ask any questions about how involved America needs to be in Ukraine, or if you suggest that, hey, a no-fly zone is probably going to start World War III, and if you think civilian casualties and loss of life are bad now, you don't want to see what would happen if America essentially declares war by implementing a no-fly zone. We're talking nuclear war, death and devastation like we've never seen. If you say that, if you suggest that maybe American foreign policy has played at least a part in the destruction that we're seeing in Ukraine, you're called a traitor. You know, treason is punishable by the death penalty, right? It's a way to get you to self-censor, to intimidate you into accepting the mainstream narrative, to make thinking critically and then voicing your unpopular or out of the mainstream thoughts scary. No one wants to be on the wrong side of history. No one wants to be seen as a traitor, a racist, a grandma killer. So uh, don't just stop. It's not just stopping someone from speaking. It's stopping someone from thinking. Because, because if you think too hard, if you learn too much, you might come to a conclusion different than what the media is telling you. And if that happens, you may feel obligated to say something. And if you say something, your reputation might be ruined. You may even be in danger. So you don't even allow yourself to think or to research or to read or to ask questions because that in itself is risky. It's much easier and more comfortable to accept what you're told about everything and repeat the mantras. You'll keep getting the invitations. You'll be accepted in polite society. You'll be told that you are adequately, sufficiently a good person and compassionate, no matter what the rest of your life looks like. To allow your attention, your outrage, your empathy to all be dictated by what the media tell you to care about in any given moment means that you are self-censoring and you are not really free. That means that we don't really live in a free country, even if we have the First Amendment. People use this to feed their sense of virtue and self-righteousness by castigating everyone who isn't as loyal to the accepted narrative as they are. Here's the thing, though. Most things we are told by the media when anything first starts end up being lies. And the things that we are told are dangerous conspiracy theories very often end up being true or at least largely true. So keep that in mind going forward. Now, what do we do with all of this madness? 
Well, the world is confusing and chaotic, and we have to simplify our lives. And there's a practical answer to this. There's a theological answer to this. The theological also becomes the practical and vice versa. And I'm just going to let you know, we're not going to be, I just realized I'm looking at the time clock in front of me. I'm not going to be able to get into the theological today. So let's do that tomorrow. Let's do a theology Thursday tomorrow. It'll be like a part two to all of this. I'll leave you on the edge of your seat and we will remind ourselves that all hope is not lost eternally. Most importantly, and I'm going to remind you of all of that tomorrow, very important, but, and maybe I'll get into the practical solutions too. But let me just at least tell you a few things and then we'll expound on it tomorrow. Before I do it, let me tell you about our last sponsor uh, just quickly. And that, of course, is Good Ranchers. All right. Like I said, we need to simplify our lives a little bit. One thing that you can simplify, make your life easier, is what you eat at night for dinner. It's just one less thing to think about. If you go to goodranchers.com slash Allie, you get that $30 discount, free express shipping. Pick out all the different kinds of meat that you want. They've got craft beef, better than organic chicken. It all comes from American farms. Shipped right to your front door on dry ice. Put it in your freezer. And then you have at least one thing that you know that you're going to eat every night of the week. Like I said, makes your life easier. We got to simplify. Another thing that we got to do is we got to depend on ourselves, our country for the thing that we things that we need in this crazy age of globalization. That is one solution that I'm about to talk about to all of this localization, depending on ourselves and buying from good ranchers is a way that you can do that. People who run this company are awesome people, Christian conservative people, and it's genuinely a good product. We use it almost every night. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. Use promo code Allie. It's American meat delivered. $30 off plus free express shipping. Goodranchers.com slash Allie. Goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right. So the practical solutions to all of this, and because I am an optimist, Everything that I just described is really bad. I think in some ways it's an unprecedented bad as far as American history goes, although we've had really, really bad times in American history. I mean, think about the Civil War. Um, And I know it's easy for us as Christians to say there is no solution and we just should stop paying attention to everything that's going on and just, you know, try to put our head in the sand and move on because there's no control that we have over it. And I think partly that's true. Our primary goal, our primary aim as Christians is not to be culture warriors, but by living in a way that is godly and good, we can actually shape the culture and you do not have to be in the majority to change things. I don't know how things are going to get up, uh, uh, end up. Are things just going to get worse and worse? Possibly. I know a lot of you think that it's the end of the world. And maybe there is. Like, I know that we have some more prophecies, some more biblical prophecies to fulfill. Maybe it is. But look, there have been wars and rumors of wars in every stage of world history. There have been, there's been famine. There have been terrible, terrible things that have gone on worse than what we are going through right now. And the end wasn't there. Maybe it's here, especially when you hear about one global digital currency. I mean, stuff gets really scary and you've got the infrastructure with the vaccine passports. There's a lot that we could talk about. Absolutely. But hey, if Jesus is coming back, then he's coming back. And we know that he wins 
in the end. So that's what we'll expound upon tomorrow. And we'll also talk about more of the practical solutions, which is to polarize and localize. So move toward people that share your same values, that want to raise their kids how you want to raise your kids. If you are a conservative person, move to a red state, make it even redder. I know that People say, well, you know, how are we going to influence the blue states? Let them influence each other. Let them be the ones to reap what they have sown through progressive policies. I'm not saying hate them. I'm not saying that you shouldn't love them and care for them, especially your family and friends in those areas and who have that political persuasion. But I am saying like your job right now is to protect your family and to raise your kids to be as godly and to be as wise and discerning as you possibly can. That means in every Every single aspect of their lives, you are trying to implement a biblical worldview through their education, through their time at home, through their friendships, the time that they spend at church. The time has come and gone for us to take any moment for granted. If America has any hope, then it's going to come from the Christian church. It is. And like I said, our primary goal is not to wage culture wars. Our primary goal is to live out the gospel, to love and to build up the body of Christ, to speak the truth unapologetically in love, to be a refuge for people who are seeking a respite from the chaos and the confusion of the world. The church absolutely thrives on the margins. Jesus promised that uh, the church will never be defeated, that the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it. So ultimately, we have nothing to worry about. But in the here and the now, our focus should be inward. Our focus should be on our local communities, depending on our local communities, helping out those who are hit the hardest by um, by inflation, by these policies. It's really going to hurt a lot of people. How is the church going to step up? And yes, the church does have an obligation to help the outside community and to help the unbelieving world and to evangelize to them. But I think that we evangelize to them by loving one another first and foremost. Really, most of the biblical directives that people think are supposed to apply to people outside of the church, like the least of these, visiting people in prison, sharing what you have, they're actually directives for Christians to take care of Christians. Not saying again that we shouldn't take care of populations outside of the church, but our main priority is to serve God and serve the body of Christ and to build the body of Christ. People see that love, they see that clarity, they see that courage, and they want it. And then they join the body of Christ and we take them in joyfully. So we turn inward. We encourage one another. We build one another up. We share our resources with one another. We stand firm on the gospel and in the courage that is given to us by Christ and his inevitable victory. Um, so we'll talk about the details of all of that tomorrow. So consider this kind of like a part one bad news tomorrow, good news. Um, But I hope it did offer at least some clarity, at least from my perspective, about everything, everything that's going on. Clarity is important before we understand what our mission is. So that's what I'm going to try to articulate tomorrow. All right, we will be back here then. Have a great rest of your day. 